two, three, one, two, three. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Eric Lang Show. We're starting. Um, Rob, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Rob Morrow, I, um, you know, what would you say is your crowning achievement of your career? Oh, boy, of my career. Um, I mean, just that I'm still sitting here, uh, you know, <laughs> that I'm still viable. Um, I, I guess there's there's a couple projects. I made a movie called Maze that I, that I wrote and directed and produced, and it, it starred Laura Linney and myself by default. Um, and... I'm really proud of that. It's uh, it's not a perfect film, but it's 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 uh, it's so much of me, and and the accomplishment itself was uh, was uh, a big uh, you know juggernaut. And uh, and for the people who haven't seen it, can you explain a little bit about like how love, the idea came up? Well, it's a love story about a guy with Tourette syndrome, and I had known someone, or I know someone who has Tourette syndrome, and I was just fascinated by it and how difficult it would be to exist with you know something that just is socially such a you know it freaks people out i mean yeah. when they, this guy would have these <laughs> spasms you know and he, <laughs> you know and he wasn't so much the cursor you know that which is a small percentage of those who you know who uh, have it but um so i just it just kind of got me thinking and uh i started a process I, I had some friends who were writers and we started working on it and uh and developed it over some time and then uh um uh, Lee F. Schreiber was going to play it, but they, he couldn't, so I ended up stepping in and playing the part. That's how you pronounce his name? Lee F. I thought it was Lee. Did you know it was <laughs> Lee F? Yeah, I thought it was Lee F. Yeah. Oh, yeah no, you keep ta- talking Lee. This has been my life problem here. <laughs> Some people say Lee Yeah. So anyway, and and so when we, so why wouldn't you want to play it if you wrote it? Well, it's a lot. You know, that's a lot of hats to wear. Um, right. And since then, I've directed myself quite a bit, and. Uh, I have just the right amount of schizophrenia, I think, to do it. But like, uh, um, in a way, it worked well because uh, I, I was really prepared. And uh, I, a freaky thing happened about three months before the movie. I got offered a movie to act to play a guy with Tourette syndrome. What are the chances? Yeah, like it's like the only two movies ever with a woman with Tourette syndrome. So they offered me this part, and I was like, yes, because I thought. At that point, I didn't know I was going to play it, but I had this feeling I was going to be playing it. And I thought this will be the perfect way for me to rehearse all the business and all the, the gestures and spasms and stuff. And so uh, so I did that movie, and it worked out. Cause, so by the time I got to my movie, I was all ready to go. Um, and the reason it was kind of a plus was because, uh, in, in a way, since I was directing and starring and producing and had written, I could move fast because I knew exactly what I wanted. You know? Right. So, you were the story. Yeah, in a way. And so I was able to accomplish a lot on a, sh- on a shoestring budget and time and money. Right. So you're most well known for Northern Exposure, right? I would guess. But I mean, you know, if someone asked me the other day because someone stopped me somewhere about numbers and they were like, they said, what do you get most stopped for? And I said, you know, it really varies. <laughs> That's a good like, question. Numbers, quiz show. I would say the three are numbers, quiz show, and uh, and northern exposure. For I guess I guess well, the interesting thing about probably being you, someone with such a long career of so many kind of different projects, is you you. It's almost like a smorgasbord. Like all the people that in, in digest media have a different way of uh, connecting to you. You know. I guess yeah yeah, and you know I do a lot. I'm a musician. You know, right. I'm into sports. Um, so You're into golf, obviously. I'm, in, I'm going to go play nine holes today. If Where are you going to play? Start raining. Brentwood? Brentwood Country Club. Oh, nice. Penmore was my country club until <laughs> I made enough cash to join Brentwood, which completely changed my game because today is a perfect example. I'm going to go over there. 
and I will play nine holes in an hour and 10 minutes, two balls a hole, and I probably won't see anyone wow. <laughs> out there. And that is one of the, as you know, is one of the great luxuries, especially in a town like this, yeah. where real estate is insane. Fast golf. Fast golf where, you know, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, so, so Penmar was my, my place for years and I loved it and I had so many great experiences there. I mean, just the characters you'd meet. You know, um, so for the for the for the podcast listeners, those of out there that don't know Penmar, can you can you give them a snapshot of Penmar? Well, Penmar is a is a par three nine hole um, right at the edge of the of the um, uh, runway at Santa Monica Airport. It's actually where Harrison Ford crashed his plane, which was a big uh, national just news a couple story. years ago. Just a couple of years ago, I think it was on the sixth hole. Are, are you into aviation at all? Not so much, no. Because I I have this image. I love flying. I'm right. not a pilot, but right. but I have this image of Harrison just up there, just like not even not even miffed. Just bringing the plane I think down. They took he took his license away after that, right? Yeah. <laughs> he got hurt. He got hurt pretty bad in that Did one. Did he? Yeah, he had to. He got. To, he 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 actually was uh, touch and go a little bit. I mean, and he, he suffered some serious stuff. Do you think it affected his future roles, like uh, in um, what was the? Uh, Oh, Star Wars! Star Wars film. I think he had a little dip there, and people didn't know if he'd make it back into the game. But he did. He clearly has, and he's doing probably better than ever. But uh, it was uh, it was scary for sure. So, so you played. So well, but first of all, let's talk about Northern Exposure. So I, I got to tell you, like I was, it was it was mid nineties. I was thirteen, and I remember. It's an interesting experience for me because I remember watching the show, New Jersey, right. same New Rochelle for you, right? Right. Yeah. New well, Rochelle. Actually, I was I didn't I was only born in New Rochelle. I was raised in White Plains in Scarsdale. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I said in an interview when I first started doing interviews that I was born in New Rochelle, and they wrote "born and raised" and it went into the <laughs> database. That now, until I did yeah. interviews with my mother's always like, "Why do you keep saying you're born and raised in New Rochelle?" I said, "I don't." They said, "Right, they fuck, they're fucking lying." Um, well, they so just yeah, made a mistake. I grew up on the East Coast. Sorry, let me flip this. Over. I grew up on the East Coast, and um, yeah, I don't know. I would just come home after school, and I would watch TV, and I remember loving the show, but. As a twelve-year-old, not understanding it. Yeah, it's heady. Yeah. It's heady. I remember, like, I, you know, completely. I, I think there was something I loved about the set and the idea of being out in the wild. I don't know. Absolutely. Well, first of all, the, it was the kind of the cinematizing of television. It was the first time landscape was a key to the to the to a show on television, and. The other thing about it is, I think some of the ideas. It, while I say heady, it wasn't um, a cerebral show per se. It appealed to high brows and low brows, right? And it also tapped into something deeply hum, hum, um, in the humanity of us. It's the same thing that happened to me when I saw the movie Two Thousand and One when I was six. I didn't get it, but I got it. Like, right. and you got it. You got northern exposure. You just didn't. You weren't. You. It took a while for your brain to catch up with your soul. <laughs> I guess. Right. You know, yeah, it was almost like it's, it's Alaska, right? That's where it's themed, yeah, based. Yeah, yeah, I did end up going to Alaska. Have you ever been? Yeah, I mean, did you go for I, I research? Went the, I, for well, I went to the, the Iditarod. I went and and, uh, and trailed along the Iditarod uh, a couple times, and then I went and did some research. I had a cool story where it was a couple of years after Northern Exposure, and I was researching. I guess it was, I guess it was that project. I wanted to do an IMAX film about the Iditarod. And uh, I think it ends in Nome, Alaska, which yeah. is on the west coast, uh, is, is, is about 90 miles from Russia. And 
So I was like, oh, I gotta go, I gotta go check it out again. And so I went up there, and I ended, and there was no hotel, or it wasn't open in Nome. It was winter, and and the Chamber of Commerce arranged for me to stay with this uh, native family. They had like twenty kids, and um, the sweetest group of people. Um, and uh, they, um, you know, they like, they took me out. Um, they had everyone, everyone from four years old to 90 years old ride snowmobiles in the winter. Like, that's the only way. That's There's no road. You can't get on the road. And But these people had a site out on the Bering Sea, about 30 miles out. Like So we'd take these, some, the, the husband, wife, and me, each on our own snow machine, went 30 miles across the frozen t- sea to their site, and we pulled up um, frozen king, uh, king crab. And brought them home, and they steamed them up, and they put them on a table like this with newspaper and beer. And all the kids were like on the stairs watching. And as soon as I was sated, which I, it was this, the best meal I've ever had, and I've had some great <laughs> meals in my time, but it was there was something, and I've been chasing that taste for crab legs ever since because you cannot get that. It was so sweet and so fresh. And as soon as I was done, they were like, okay. And then the kids just attacked it. Whoa! But the story was when I got there. I was, I was, I had to get around the town, and they, they, uh, in the town, you could, you could uh, drive. So they gave me a, a little, uh, um, they gave me a truck, which mm-hmm. was exactly like the truck I drove <laughs> on the show. And also, now do they know? They know who you are. They know who you are. Yeah, that's why they let me stay in their house. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, Doctor Fleischman. And do, and do they kind of look at you with a sense of comedy, or are they respect you deeply? No, or? they respect. They were respectful. Okay, uh, probably comedy as well. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I had all this stuff from uh, like like um, uh, what was the name of the company? These boots, uh, Red Wing. I had Red Wing and, and there was another company, but I had like boxes of this stuff. That, right, right. Just, yeah. And so at the end of the show, I just took it and put it in, in a closet. And I had the jackets. I had a jacket that was supposedly good to 70 below. That's what Joel Fleischman wore. It was an Eddie Bauer thing. <laughs> and uh, so when I went there, I was like, well, I've got to take this stuff. So I went and, and I was walking through the town. No, I was driving through the town in the truck, right, dressed like Fleischman with a video camera filming. And then I turned the camera, and, and at the same moment I turned the camera back to kind of get an expression on my face, I was like, I am Joel Fleischman. <laughs> <laughs> it was just such a trippy moment. You're, you're into the trippy side of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where did that, you were a troubled kid. Oh, yeah. I was too. Yeah. You, you, you made it through high school? It's the East did, Coast does it too. It's the East Coast, the, it's the ice <laughs> in the winter. I made it through in that, I took a GED, which I cheated on. How did you cheat on your GED? I looked at the person's, I want to say that Woody Allen, I looked oh. into the soul of the person next to me. Yeah, you, ex- no, no, I just, I looked at the, whoever, some girl was sitting next to me and I just cheated. Did, did she look smart or you just went for it? She, anyone knew more than me. So I just, <laughs> I think I just rolled the dice, you know. Were you high during your GED? No, no, no. I wasn't you a stoner. Drugs or no? What was it? I wasn't a stoner. Um, the pyromaniac? I like, I like pot now, but like, uh, uh. No, I was just like a rebel. Like, I was just an idiot. Yeah. You know, I was a, a, a little bit of a, a, like, for a little while, I would, like, petty shoplifting kind of stupid stuff, um, breaking into school and, you know, just to break in, not even to do anything, you right. know? Right, right. Taking uniforms from, you know, just really dumb stuff. And um, you just wanted to fuck the system. I, I guess. I wish I could say it was even that. I just... I just was. I think I just didn't know what I wanted to do, or or and and I I, I don't have a, 
not dyslexic or anything, but I had quasi kind of learning in the same way my daughter does. It's like I pr- it takes me a second to process different. And then, and then in the public schools, you if you get behind, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And I got behind in like fifth grade. <laughs> right, right, right. And so, you know, I joke that I didn't pass a test from the seventh grade on. Right. Um, but I've become an intellectual since, you know, or, or somewhat of an intellectual. Um, and so I'm an advocate for, you know, following your own path because the thing that saved me was finding something that I loved. Which was? Acting. So you, uh, and, and, and you, in your youth, you actually cut school to pursue acting. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the movie Caddyshack. Um, I, uh, I cut six weeks, and I'm all over that movie. I mean, you look at that movie, and you see a fat <laughs> little version of me. And th- like, there's one, you can, you can pick me out. At one point, I'm wearing a mesh practice football jersey, purple with the number 61. Oh, in the Caddyshack during the fight in the beginning? I'm everywhere. All, in the all Skittles, when the Skittles hit the ground? Absolutely. I'm in that. I can't remember. I don't know if I've seen it a long time. But then I'm wearing a jean vest over the Caddyshack. <laughs> I, I still have that stuff. Um, but the, it, was, it was such a cool thing because they, I had caddied a little bit as a kid. And um, so they wanted authenticity. And mm. I could at least look like I knew how to carry a bag and hand a club to, you know. And, and so they loved that, that I was a real kid because most of the other they couldn't get real kids during the day to, sh- you know, during the week. So a lot of them were like 22 year olds and stuff and they wanted kids. And so I became a bit of a mascot, you know, so all the stars would always be like, Hey, Rob, you know, <laughs> which made me feel so cool. And, and Michael O'Keefe was like, he would put me in front of the lunch line and say that I was the star of the movie. Michael O'Keefe, who plays, uh, Ray, who plays, um, Ray. Danny, 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 yeah. Danny, right. Danny Noonan. Yeah. And now since he's become a friend and we've worked together and then the, the coolest thing was Brian Doyle Murray, who wrote the movie, one of the writers, um, just took a, just took a liking to me in a sweet way, and said at the end of the time, he said, "Hey kid, if you ever get to New York, give me a call." And he gave me this number, which went in my wallet, and it was like, you know, the golden ticket. So two years ish later, I make my way to New York to start my career, and the first person I call is Brian Doyle Murray, and he's like, "Who?" And I'm like, oh, you know, you remember I was a kid? Oh, yeah, yeah. Why don't you come up to the show? It was SNL, 1979. Rodney was the host, right? It was just a coincidence. <laughs> so he's like, come on up, bring some pop. <laughs> so I go up, and they put me in a scene where I was the, uh, a juror in a scene where Rodney's the judge. And uh, it was the coolest thing to be at that. Because there would be like John Belushi, who wasn't even on the show, but he just would go walking by like wasted with his pants half down and his butt and he'd be like that was John Belushi you know <laughs> and I was so into it and then like 15 years later I host the show and I say to Lauren Michaels I'm in the the day one where they, he has a meeting with you and you know you talk about the week and I say you know I was on the show as an extra and he's like what I said yeah and then I, then we we worked it into a reference in the, in the monologue or something amazing yeah what a crazy, like you must be standing there 15 years later. What is that feeling? It's, it was, an, it, that by the way, when you asked what the high, that was now that I think about it, was one of the high moments. Standing before 
as those doors are about to open and that band killing it and then saying, ladies and gentlemen, Rob, Don Pardo, Rob Morrow. Right. And I come walking out to this show that now I've watched for, what, 50, 20-ish years. Um, uh, it felt it felt as close as I can imagine it will feel like to be Mick Jagger. It just was like, <laughs> it was so cool. And, and I guess I've had this thing a number of times now where it was confirmation that I was on the right path for me myself you know it was like oh i did I, I cut school to be an extra this guy gives me his thing i show up in new york I, against all odds i enter a crazy business i go up to saturday night live and 15 years later they asked me to host it right you right know, that's like okay you're you're on there's a there's a certain um easing of of ways uh, you know that or, or there's a force in the universe yeah like john travolta i worked with him he was the reason I became an actor. I was watching the movie Grease. I was 15. I never thought about it before. Something I knew I was not going to be able to make it through school. I knew I would not be able to sit at a desk. And there was something about the joy, which I've heard a lot of actors talk about in terms of John, the joy that he has in acting. And I was like, I, I want to do that. And uh, and then years later, I was working with him. Um, so again, I was like, okay, this was... So how, how do you, you, you must have spent quiet moments pondering the overlapping of kind of coincidences like that. Do you have any explanation? Well, I mean, you know, if you look at it from a quantum physics perspective and, 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 and time uh, and, and the, the nonlinear aspects of time, uh, you, could, you could posit that uh, it, I was aware of things uh, that were coming because they've already happened, you know. I mean, whoa, yeah, you know. I mean, but it. it you, so you. I mean, how, how much belief do you put into that? I put a lot of belief into the fact that time is not linear. Um, I p- put a lot of belief into signs that I've seen on my road many times. Like I'm telling you now, those signs. Those were. Those were. They, you know, if you worked backward from that event of hosting Saturday Night Live, then you'd have to go back to the time where I was on it as an extra. Then you'd have to go back to the time where I was, if you're following kind of a narrative, then you'd have to go back to where I was an extra in the movie, you know. So, um, I, you know, I can't, I can't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't bank on it. But it, it sure, I know that the way we perceive reality is, is probably a fraction of what the real deal is, right? I mean, it, it, it has to be. I you mean, know, I, you live in Laurel Canyon, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> I live in a very hippied out neighborhood. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, yeah. I love yeah. that movie. I saw it a while ago before I lived there, though. So I'm relatively new. I've only lived there like a year and a half. It captures the kind of concept of Laurel Canyon. It I sure think. does, yeah. I guess I need to give it another watch. You sure. You know, you're talking about time makes me think of one of my favorite films, uh, Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah. I've uh, seen that. Is there uh-huh. another film that sort of represents well, this? 2001 is that's yeah. the one. And, and that's and oddly, and here you go again, because what was the boy, in the six-year-old who had no idea about these kind of concepts did know. Like, 
it wasn't, I wasn't just like, oh, spaceships. Like I was like, oh, wow, life exists. Somehow it was touching something in me that was either eternal or aware. Um, and that movie is the ultimate movie about timelessness. So do you believe like, so here you are at present moment. I'm, I'm kind of drawing a timeline here. If you're, if you're here for you, it's over here. If you're here on the timeline where you are right now and you have all this history behind you, do you believe on some level that you were going to get here to right here to this exact table with a microphone in front of you, whether you had gone up, down, left, right? No. You don't believe that? No, because you make choices and that determines, you know. So you do believe in like a self-engineered fate? Somewhat. You know, I think there's different paths. You know, you could look at a parallel universe and say that for every story I'm telling you, there's the equal and opposite. There's the ones that I didn't get out of school, that I got arrested, that I ended up in jail, Whoa. that I didn't make it as an actor, you know, that I became like... the biggest actor in the world, like every possibility. So I don't think it's, I don't think fate is deterministic. It, I don't think your fate is, uh, a foregone conclusion there's certain things you can do if i go and kill someone it's going to inform the rest of my life I right mean, you could say that was the path i was on you could become a famous murderer i could become a famous murderer <laughs> you could become uh what's his name how to make a murder oh, avery steve avery steve, yeah. Yeah. right so wait, do, do you ascribe any of this um wonderful thought to your golf game your golf experience um well it's interesting with golf like um you know, there, there's, there's something about uh, visualizing and seeing, you, you know, the result before you play that can be helpful, and, and not just golf and everything, and I've used that. Um, You've actually used that for acting? Oh, yeah, for everything in life. No, so wait, so someone calls you, say, I got, I got, uh, I got an offer, right. or I, got a, I, got a, I want you to read something. Right. You will actually visualize yourself obtaining that. Yeah, like if I have a meeting, it's not even so much that, like if, but if I have a meeting, say, and it's someone intimidating, you know, some big shot that I'm going to go meet with about something, I will, I meditate every day. So in my meditation, I will do like a visualization of seeing that going well and, you know, you know the connection with them and it positive, not necessarily that, you know, you've got the job, but I'm, 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 I'll, I'll foresee a positive experience. And I've it's been I've proved to myself that it helped. I mean I've had that result play out. So and rarely do I have the opposite. I may not get the gig, but rarely do I, you know, really focus on something being positive uh, and it it goes negative. Like that doesn't mean I get everything I want. Far from it. But but the experience is a good one as opposed to a shitty one. I see a lot of connections between golf and meditation. And in fact, one of the projects that got me into kind of where I am now, which I could easily determine as this kind of strange occurrence, twists of events that, I mean, I shouldn't be here, right? Like that I shouldn't be into golf. Um, but but I, I sort of started playing golf through my brother seven years ago, watched Caddyshack, listened to Bill Murray talk about the Dalai Lama, was totally floored because huh. I was already open to those ideas as a LSD guy, as a pothead who had gotten sober. Right. And so I, I was open to those ideas and then sort of come to find all these examples of how golf is a really, not only meditative, but like literally, uh, you know, Eastern kind of game. And, um, yeah, I love that book golf in the kingdom. There you go. Yeah. Well, you know, Michael Murphy, the author started Esalen. 
That's right. And that blew my fucking mind. Right, right. If you haven't heard of Esalen, it's uh, it's like the hippiest hot spring retreat in Big Sur. Right. And you can barely make a reservation. It's not expensive. You just they're just like not picking up the phone. I went up there and took a groovy. Uh, it, what was it? A golf weekend. Um, oh, Shivas Irons. Yeah. You've done that. Yeah. It was so Amazing. cool. It was so cool because you do things like you play. Uh, you played pebble with the candles. We weren't in Pebble. We were at Clint Eastwood's got a place called Tihama or whatever. Yeah, or yeah. T- somewhere in Tihama, I think. Yeah. Um, we were there. And uh, you do things like you play or you play around at night, right. which was great. And you play and you play around with one club. Right. Um, you know, but stuff that silent, I carry with You play with a silent me. hole? You play a silent hole. No talking. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that one being very strange. Yeah. It's very hard. Well, because I play, I play a lot of, by myself. I play a lot with friends, but I play a lot... In order to keep my game at, at any respectable level, I I squeeze in this like I'm going to do today. So I'll play by myself with earphones. So so I can I get pretty quiet out. There. What do you listen to? You know whatever the music is that I'm you know I'm on, I'm into so much music. Yeah, all, country. Yeah, I mean I love country, but it's not my thing. You know, um, you know, uh, rap, rock, rap. I don't necessarily listen to rap on the golf course. I appreciate rap. <laughs> it's not, um, it doesn't quite fit. But like, uh, I like Biggie on the golf course. Actually, yeah, yeah, Juicy is a good. It's just I don't know. It's just like you know, superstar. I don't know. You just it's like it's like I think like every song is like on a golf course. You want it to be like a walk up song. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Oh, you mean like your your like vic- Queen Victory? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I get I get a little more mellow. mellow stuff. I okay. think. Yeah, right. you're mellowing out. Yeah. What do you use golf for? Well. Um, I guess to get away, you know, and to get present, um, uh, it's only, you know, it took me a long time, a long time to enjoy it. I mean, I was so miserable playing. My wife was like, why do you do this? Why? That's common. I know. But it's only when I, it's only in the last, you know, I don't know, eight, 10 years, certainly since I joined a place, although I had some... I had a horrible experience uh, early on when I joined Brentwood. I was. This is how long ago? Ten years. Okay. I I was out by myself, and I was getting ready to play Pebble, you know, the AT and T or something like that, and uh, you know, so I was trying hard, and uh, I got really pissed off. <laughs> I, I hit. I, I like. I was. It was like a three wood off the fairway. Hard shot. Hard shot. But, it, you know, I mean, so I hit the ball and it like went like three feet to the right. Right. And I was like, fuck. And then I did it again and the same thing happened. And then again, the same thing. And I took my club as hard as I could and swung into the brace on the cart that holds the roof up on the cart. Oh, yeah. And it snapped like, it just snapped in half and one piece went flying and the other, which was now... A thousand knives, you know, it's fiber fiber, right? Carbon fiber, whatever it was, <laughs> rips back and cuts me. No, now I didn't feel it, right? But I'm standing there, and the greens guys, you know, are all around, and and this guy goes like, "Oh my god!" And he, like blood was like pouring down my face. Oh no! And he's like, "You gotta come, come!" And they drive me up to the. Th- front and all they're all doctors there so they come right. and, they, and it was nothing i had a little stitches oddly enough on the perfect hairline of my head so that if you saw me that night after i got the stitches you wouldn't even know what happened right but it was like i was like it was such a wake-up call that a i could a i'm an actor i could have hurt myself b that 
why? For yeah. what, why would I get that upset that I could have hurt myself severely? Um, and ever since then, I've kind of started on this path of just playing for fun. So uh, I rarely keep score. Really? You know, if I'm playing in a game where I have to, I do. But I don't keep score. I like to, you know, as I say, today I'll go out, I'll play, I'll play two balls a hole. Um, it's all, I, I just, I don't work at it that much. I right. used to work at it, but I, I think about it here and there. I just, I've played long enough. I've taken enough lessons that I have a basic game and I can play to my 15 handicap. And, uh, my whole goal is to relax, right. just relax, relax, relax. And, um, you know, but it, but it's taken a long time, but I have, so I have a lot of fun when I go out and play cause it doesn't. You know, my friends that are, most of my friends that are hardcore, you know, don't understand. Like, you don't keep score. They're like, what? Right. You know, they don't get it. But I can, I can play with them and they're not miserable. So. Sure. You know, I have a similar experience. I was like in Palm Springs. I had been playing not that long. And I don't even remember the shot. I, it was a six iron and I was playing at Indian Wells. Right. Sure. I love that place. It was a great course. I had paid uh, a lot at the yeah, time, you know, sure. $80 for me. It was a tremendous amount of money. And for some reason, there was an inverse proportion between the amount I had paid and the amount of pleasure I got out of it. Right. Like, if I paid a lot, I was going to be pissed. Right, right. Because I never, I wanted to play well. Right. And when I played well, when I, when I, when I knew I was going to pay a lot, I would wash the clubs, I would clean the bag. Right. And so I went out, and I was on the 13th hole. I had a six iron from the fairway, and I, I hit it back. I don't even remember the shot, but I remember I was so, so pissed that I took the six iron and chucked it as hard as I could and it exactly like you did it hit the brace of the golf cart folded in two and I was left with a broken six iron right. and actually just now you and I talk about it, I'm starting to realize like all golfers must go through this sort of like terrible twos yeah where we like learn that our temper is uh not is a hindrance right and and it's like I think in a way like it's a, it's a way as an adult to learn about oh I'm actually still just a child. <laughs> it's the worst. I mean, anger is the worst for everything. Nothing good comes from it. Yeah. And it's like you need that lesson again because it's almost like watching a movie twice. Like as a kid, we learn, you know, our temper maybe does get us food or whatever. Or, or ideally, if your parents are smart, they, they don't cave to your right. crazy request for <laughs> them to tie your shoes a ninth time or something. But I don't know. As we go into like adulthood, like what the fuck does golf teach us? You know, wh why you've... Maybe spent a million dollars on golf. Uh, that's five hundred thousand. I could say yeah, in the five five hundred. I would say four, four, three fifty to four, four. It sounds about right. That's about the membership right. Membership was expensive. The membership. So I joined Wilshire. I'm a member there. Right. Um, my ex-wife paid for it. God bless her. Nice. Um, it, but but unfortunately, she didn't pay for it in whole. She only. So now I still got these like crazy fees every year, and I'm just right. like fuck. Right. Can but, I do it? Yeah. But even still, like if you include airfare and tea times and clubs, like I probably spent 150 grand, right. which I don't, I don't make a lot of money, but right. why do we spend all this fucking money? Right. Cause it doesn't matter who cares as long as you can spend it. I mean, it doesn't matter the money it's cause of the, the journey of it, you know? And, and, uh, the thing about golf, which, which never ceases to amaze me, especially it happens more so when I play with people and I play 18 which is usually at least, you know, I try to do that once a week, but every other week for sure. Um, it's a journey and it, and it, and it, you rarely know where it's going. You know, 
the first few holes, either you're hot or you're not, and you're like thinking this means, and then all of a sudden you're in a different head, and then you're bonding with this person, and you're talking about this, and then you, you're together sharing the victory or the defeat here, and then you're, you know, and then you're done, and you come through this, like when you're coming up that 18th hole, it just feels like a, 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 a mythological, you know, journey, you know, the hero's journey. It, it feels like that, and then you finish it off with a chat and a drink, and, um, what could be bad? I mean, it's a it's a great way to spend time. Do you try to be really uh, enclosed on the golf course? Like, do you ever look at your cell phone, or to you, is it just like you're isolated there? And it's I, like I, I know I'm I'm pretty. I look at the phone, and um, you know, like if I there's times where I where I say, you know, I don't want to deal with anything, and I I will not look at it. But for the most part, um, you know, because I have a wife and daughter, I always just kind of check in and key in and. You got, you got to stay connected. Uh, yeah, and I always feel like, well, I'm so lucky to be out here, especially if it's a weekday. Like, you know, uh, you know, this is, you know, it's kind of my work day is playing nine holes, you know, so like I should have to, I should check in and see if my agent's calling or something. <laughs> right. All right, everybody, time for some reads. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Look, I know if you listen to this, some things about you. I have some demographics on you. I know that you have ears. I know that you probably play golf, but beyond most of that, I know that you have skin, okay? And just like an astronaut, if you're going to go to space, what are you going to wear? Yes, a space suit. So you're a, a golfer or you're a, let's – let's even boil it down even more simply. You're a human living on planet Earth. I also know that you live on planet Earth. I know that. So if you live on planet Earth and you're a human, you're going to want to take care of your what? No, not what you're thinking. Although, good idea. What you want to take care of is your skin. And these two guys have found a way to do it. One of them is a golfer, so you can trust them as far as you can throw them. He's not a huge guy, so you could probably throw him. If you're big, I could say you could probably chuck him five and a half, six feet. Depending on the angle. You know, if you had a downwind, downhill, you could maybe get him eight feet. But look... He's a golfer. His friend is a doctor. This is not a joke. It's not a setup for a joke. They basically were out on the golf course one day and they're like, why does all the skincare BS? Why am I spraying on this stuff that smells bad, tastes bad, burns my eyes, whatever it is? So they launched this thing called SunCare, S-O-N-N-E, care. And it's actually pretty cool. It comes in these two little bottles about the size of, uh, what is the size of this thing? It's kind of like the size of, of it's not really like the size of anything it's an inch wide and three and a half inches tall there you go and you get two bottles if you go online suncare.com s-o-n-n-e care.com slash eric and if you use the code eric at checkout you'll get more than half off and i think it's like 20 bucks for these two bottles you put one on in the morning and one on at night look i'm not saying you're stupid but i'm definitely lazy so having one to put on in the morning and one at night simplifies everything and the stuff's vegan, which is great if you have vegan friends. Or if you're vegan yourself, actually, it's great. Check it out. Use the code Eric at checkout, suncare.com, S-O-N-N-E, care.com. 
support golfers and doctors, although doctors don't need that much support. I mean, unless they're doctors without borders, and I don't know if this guy has any borders, but just check it out. Moving on, Adidas. Obviously, you need to wear shoes on the golf course unless you're like me and you play barefoot. But even still, I have to wear shoes to get to the golf course. That's true, okay? And I choose to wear Adidas, obviously. I also am contractually obligated to wear Adidas at this point. But that doesn't mean that I don't love them. Go to adidas.com, click on the golf thing, get yourself some golf shoes. Obviously, there are a lot of people wearing them, including you as truly. I kind of like the Tour 360 knits. I'm not really a spike guy. I kind of like the spikeless shoes, and they've got a cool new line of Cross things coming out that I wear, and I don't feel like a jerk wearing them out after the round. You know what I mean? And they've actually got really good stability, which is nice because I'm a kind of an unstable guy, if you didn't know already. Vice Golf, guys, Vice Golf Balls. Not only are their commercials hilarious, and the guy who's in them is so funny. It's just It just makes me want to buy them all by itself. Anyway, check them out. Go online. You know the deal. Five dozen, it's basically they pay you $80. That's, that's how it works. Top performing golf ball, half the price. They don't, no money goes to the middleman. You cannot get them in a pro shop. Why? Because then it would cost you more money. So they have gone out and murdered the middleman in a good way. Everyone's happy. No one likes a middleman except the middleman himself, which obviously means there's something wrong with that equation. Vicegolf.com, check it out. Some good golf balls. I play with them. I don't have to make excuses for myself. I still trounce all the four-year-olds I play with and even some 10-year-olds. You know, let's be honest. I'm starting to step up my game a little bit. My handicap's going down. I'm looking forward to the club championship. I know I mentioned it. I'm going to be gaming a vice ball, and I might even get a special edition one because then you can get them personalized. Anyway, that's enough from me. Keep enjoying the interview. Thanks for listening, and I appreciate your support. I just poured us some water, but it looks hella cloudy. Jeff, did you taste it? Did you die yet? What's in this fucking water? Oh, well, maybe there's a citrus in it. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think that's a little lemon. Yeah. Oh, it's like expensive water. Oh. oh that's pretty good. It's either expensive or poisonous. Yeah. <laughs> or in between. It could be both, actually. <laughs> Sometimes. Okay. Um, that's really beautiful, you know, because I think, you know, it's, it sounds like, you know, you've seen all the sides of the golf game from growing up, humble beginnings, right? Like caddying as a kid, um, you know, being in, I mean, having uh, a foothold in, in one of the greatest pieces of golf media that's ever been created. Right. Right. I mean, you've, you've, you're kind of the, uh, you know, it's like, where's Waldo of like, of golf and for my story, at least, you know, yeah. SNL. What, what, I mean, you must have some like, I, I love the randomness of the game. I love when you show up to a place like Penmar and you have no idea who's about to join you. They might not speak English. You might already know I them. I had so many great conversations with so many odd ducks on that. Great characters, you know. Just interesting days. I played there a lot for a good long year, a good many years. Do any stick out to you as being particularly interesting, worthwhile of a, of a few minutes on this, uh, on this sort of rambling podcast? Um... This is a, I've never asked this question. <laughs> so it's a, it's a definitely a go. It's a hail mary. <laughs> Rob's, Rob's sort of you rubbing know, the, his lips. He's not sure. The one that's the most interesting. I actually wrote a. a it's called the book, but it's like it's like thirty thousand words. It's available on iBooks or something. But about my experience at the AT and T, 
Um, I played in that, and I, I wasn't really ready. I shouldn't really have played in it, but I leveraged my position into it. Right. And Solid. Uh, it was it was it was wild because it was like picture you're a, a mediocre tenth grade football athlete as I was, and you wake up and you're playing in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. I mean, there was Phil Mickelson two holes ahead of me or whatever. You know, it was like thousands of people, on, you know, lining the, the bot. you know, when we came up the 18th. Um, the intimidation of it was so overwhelming. Um, so let me just explain. So for, for those of you that don't know what Rob's talking about, this is the uh, yearly PGA Tour event, AT&T Pro-Am at Pebble Beach. Uh, basically, um, it's two man teams. The Bing Crosby, yeah, clam the clam bake, yeah. right? And it's a two man teams. So basically, a celebrity gets paired with a pro golfer. Yeah, and you play together for three days, maybe four if you're lucky. I was three and glad <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't think I could handle the stress of the fourth day. Well, um, but I was only off by a couple. Uh, I guess it was like th- three strokes to make the cut. Who'd you play with? Guy, a kid named Troy Merritt, who's oh, yeah. his rookie year. He's, I've met Troy Merritt from yeah. Uh, Idaho. Yeah, great good guy. guy. Great guy. Great sense of humor. He actually. was lovely. Yeah. yeah, he was really lovely. Very dry. Yeah, yeah, and it was he was, you know, he it was his first time. It was his first year in the in the PGA, and uh, you know, so he was a little overwhelmed too. But, right. Uh, but he he held himself great. And and yeah, because so I had the um, I was working at the waste management this year. Oh, cool. And, you know, I was sort of just doing my job and my client was waste management. So they obviously had a bit of a, they had a bit of a, you know, a stick to throw around. Yeah. Yeah. And they said to me on Tuesday night, as we finished shooting and they were like, do you want to play in the pro-am tomorrow? And I was like, the pro-am? Yeah. cool. Like, are you kidding me? And they're like, yeah, did you bring your clubs? I'm like, no, I'm working. I didn't, I didn't bring my clubs. Like, I don't even have golf shoes. So anyway, I I had to muster that. Incredible, and I'm not an actor. I've never stood in front of you know people right. like that. I've never had to deliver lines authentically in front of even just a modest crew. Right, right. Like so, so it was wild having sure. to go out in front of that many people. How'd you do? Um, well, my main goal was on 16. I just wanted to hit the green. Right, and I was freaking the fuck out because my swing wasn't quite sorted. You know, right, right. And I'm like a, a 10 handicap, so I'm kind of the guy that can I, I have a good looking swing. Everyone right. thinks I'm sandbagging, right? But then they see me go OB three times, and they're like, oh, okay, that's where the 10 shots right, comes right. from. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I was out there early practicing. What 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 shot am I hitting today? And the funny thing is, to talk about the mystical side of golf is. We walked up to 16, and I forgot everything I know about golf because huh. it's just so much intensity. I don't. I went skydiving recently, yeah. and I think they're actually very similar. Huh. Hitting a shot in front of an uncomfortably large group of people where they're all watching or jumping out of a plane, they, they both were things that I was terrified of, Yeah, and they both worked out fine. <laughs> I, I hit the green, <laughs> and I landed on my feet. Was that a part three? Yeah, it's a little par three. It's like uh, it was from the amateur tees, it was playing like 142 and right. something like that. Nice. I had an nine iron hit the green. Nice. Charlie Hoffman and I were a foot away. Right. And I was like, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the great thing about the sport is that you can you can hit a shot as good as one of those guys. Right. Not You won't do it all the time, but you can. You can. Yeah. You can hit a shot as good or better than the best player in the world. Right. As often as you want. Yeah. I mean, that, that's not true. I wish as often so as I want. There's sort of like an equal quality among everybody yeah. in golf. 
which is yeah. different from like basketball. You're never going to be like LeBron James no on the way. court or right. Steph on. Yeah. No, you're right. never going to stuff <laughs> Steph Curry like right. a tissue. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's funny you just talk about you know, sort of waking up with your ability playing on a professional level. Like golf does have that too with like, you can play the same courses you can, you know, it's, it's, it's strangely much more accessible. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny that it's kind of has this elitist kind of, uh, you know, uh, the way it's described, you know, but it, it does, you know, places like Penmar and it's anything but elitist. Right. Right. How do you find, um, cause I'm assuming you played golf for a long time before joining a club or even maybe even being a guest at a private club. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, uh, you know, I, I play, well, although I got to play as a caddy when I was a caddy as a kid, right. so we got to play, but I didn't know what I was doing at all. Um, I started to take on Northern exposure, my character played. So I started taking lessons just so I could look like I knew what I was doing. Is, but is that the beginning of it? No, but you, you had an interest in golf prior. I had an interest only in that I had caddied and played a bit as a kid because I had caddied, but it didn't... So uh, there was no bug? No, no, no. You were caddying really just to make 20 bucks? I had, it was the closest place that I could make a, a, you know, some money as a, as a 13-year-old. Fascinating. So do you look at that as a sense of synchronicity here? You, you caddied, you wanted to be an actress, so you ended up in Caddyshack because of your random experience, and then now here you are, you know member at a country club playing golf once twice a week and that end up you know and that that northern exposure became the reason that i took lessons which then got me excited about it you know does he ever play golf on the show yeah yeah like but it was you know these kind of (laughs) makeshift golf courses in the tundra you know where (laughs) ed would put like a flag on a mountain and i'd have to try to get it (laughs) there's a couple episodes for sure amazing yeah that's so interesting did you find similar to the way you were sort of revisiting Alaska, driving down the street in this truck, pointing the camera on yourself, realizing that you are the actor that you had portrayed. You're, you, are, you are the character. Right. Did you ever have that with golf where you're like, wait a minute, I have literally, I read a script and now here I am. Like, uh, like what's that movie with Will Ferrell? Uh, the one where he's like... He, he, oh, Stranger Than Fiction. Stranger Than Fiction, yeah, where correct. he has to write it for it to happen. Yeah, I'm not following you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I like the. I like the. I like the idea. I just don't quite say what the question it was, is. I was reaching for a high shelf. Right. Uh, basically, you know, it, did you ever? Do you ever now experience yourself playing golf and look back on Joel's character, the character of Joel, and say, "Wait, I was. I've already done this." I. I, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I try. I try. <laughs> Do you I mean try. like deja vu in a way, or K- kind of like that, but more like you. You, 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 like you gotta you gotta watch the roles that you pick because you could become them. Is what I'm kind of getting at. Well, that's a good thing, you know. Especially, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I love that about uh, parts that you know. I, I, you know, I'm always looking for. I've developed a couple golf TV shows or or music TV shows so that I can do what I love and get paid for it. Right. <laughs> um, you know, we we've tried so many different concepts of golf. It's true. Why does it not work? The main reason is in order to do it right. Like so, the the obvious story for someone like me is a guy who was just made the tour, and then you know when he was twenty three, and then got married and had kids and had to give it up, right? right? Or so, or was about, or thought he was on the hunt to make the tour, and then you know thirty years later decides to to join, try to get make the seniors, you know, right? 
But the problem is, in order to do it, you got to get the PGA behind it. Sure. In order to get the PGA behind it, you have to then say, oh, well, there'll be no drugs and no sex and no cursing <laughs> and no, like, so you're like, Fuck well, that. what do we do, right? Yeah. So, so uh, and if you don't have them, how do you get the, how do you shoot the tournaments? Like, you right. can't. So, right. Um, that's the tricky part. Yeah. We had, you know, Ron Shelton, uh, we had him yeah, on, yeah. Uh, Tin Cup, writer-director, and you know, it was interesting. He, he had all of those parties in line. I wonder, we didn't ask him about that, that he didn't, I didn't. For a movie, you can get away with it because you're saying, you know, especially if it's a big budget and you're paying. Right. You know, I'm sure for Tin Cup, they paid some cash, right. you know, uh, heavy cash to get wherever they needed to go. But uh, the problem is, and, you know, for a TV show, you're saying, you know, I need to come out to 20 events or 15 events a year, right. you know, or 10 events even, or eight events even, and I need to be able to infiltrate and, and come around with cameras and got, you know, it's like, they'll be like, we don't need you, you know? Right. Right. So I think one of the things that's interesting to me is like, if you look at, um, there, there are, there are lots of movies about baseball. I would actually like, Jeff, can we do this at some point? Can we break down? Cause you, Jeff's his movie expert, right? Yeah. He knows everything about everything. Well, there's only what four golf movies I can think of on the top of my head. There might right? be six. There's like two. There's like a couple of seven days in heaven. I golf in the kingdom. I don't know why that wasn't made. It got done. And it sucks. Who made that? Um, Mindy. Mindy. Her name is Mindy Afrimi. And uh, is it her called partner. Golf in the kingdom? It's called Golf in the Kingdom. That's funny. I and it's atrocious. It's, is that one on your list? <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> no. No, as of now, we've got Tin Cup. Um, seven days in Utopia or whatever. That no, you didn't. Right. That was the one that plays time. every day on the Golf Channel. Though. Greatest game ever played. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, Bagger Vance. Yeah, yeah right. Bagger Vance. Um, Caddyshack. I mean, you've you've got under ten. Right. Pat and Mike. Right. That's like an older I don't know that one. Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy. Yeah, they play. They shot that in right. Ohio, I think. Right. Whoa. Yeah. Remind um, me. You got to check that. that out. Pat and Mike. Pat and Mike. Yeah, it's a great Whoa. movie. Yeah. I don't know that one. But anyway, you've got all these other sports, right? Baseball, basketball football a lot of movies around those a lot of great movies Rudy Bull Durham Field of Dreams so many amazing films what is it like like those are those sports are obviously cool they have the masculinity golf is just not you know it's not it's not it it's not kind of dramatic in the Aristotelian sense like it's it's so it's so slow and it's so repetitive and it's so hard to capture you know right it's hard it's yeah. a hard sport to make I mean most of those movies didn't do any business Bagger Vance was a bust yeah The Greatest Game was a bust right Tin Cup was because because they found the human story you know they found a great story I mean but even that it didn't he, Ron said it didn't make a bunch of money oh right? really I it, didn't know it, that. it became a bit of a cult huh Film. Yeah, it was an expensive movie. I think it was like sixty million dollars. Kevin right. Costner, you know, right, big right. movie stars. So right, a lot of above the line cost there. Huh. But even I Caddyshack, know. I'm pretty sure, wasn't like. So then maybe it, Happy Gilmore. That's probably the only one Happy that was Gilmore, like a mega I hit. About that. Yeah. yeah, Caddy was Caddyshack was a hit. I yeah, mean, certainly in, in over the years, it's made a zillion dollars. Ton, sure. ton of money. But you know, I don't know. I just look at it. I'm like, I'm like, let's let's move it. Let's let's pull away all the things we know about it and why why aren't there more awesome golf movies what the fuck is the problem it's hard to do it's a really tricky thing to pull off you know it's really hard to make interesting you know 
in a movie, let's just say in your movie, your golf movie, it's, you know, someone gets, you know, it's got to be, it, it's got to be someone kind of finding their way into the big leagues or something like that, or, right. you know, and they get their chance and they're on, but then well, you, you can't, you can't, you have to truncate 18 holes can't have it be two hours of gall, you know? So right. it's like, how do you tell, how do you make that dramatic story? You, you know, how many montages of scenes of <laughs> putts going in the hole, you know, like it's, it's very, it's not cinematic ultimately. No, no. Yes. I, I'm, 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 that's why I think with happy Gilmore, they were like breaking away from a lot of the, you know, norms of golf. Mm. So that's why it probably worked because right. it was just like away from all the preconceived ideas of how we thought of golf tournament was and all the yeah. mechanics of it yeah yeah and he was having such fun at the expense of the game in a way well and it's it's great too because it's got that I, the comedy that i miss is the absurdist comedy you know that right. exists in these 90s la story all these great steve martin films right. and everything like you know i i miss those days i miss the rom-coms where you know it's kind of it's not the slapstick era but it's this comedy that we don't have anymore yeah you know you think I, I don't know. I think the comedy now is much more real. Really? You know, well, I guess you've got The Hangover would right. be a similar yeah. comp. But even The Hangover, it's like, you know, the funniest parts are like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to repeat the funniest parts, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when his friends pulls up and say, nah, I'm gonna say. anyway. Well, maybe um, you're saying it's like more like extreme moments. In a way, like well, it's not the like bar, look, simple you do, you, you have a point in that you have to. That's the problem is that in order to, that, you know, it's so raunchy now. It's got to yeah. be like the most base, disgusting, yeah. you know, because where else do you go? You can't repeat it. You got to keep pushing it. The bar keeps getting higher, and it's it's hard. Yeah. Whereas in the '90s, it was just like a little bit sillier. It was a bit right. more like uh, focused on like double puns. Right. A little, a little bit more cute. You know, I mean, I guess right. every, even rap music was then. Even rap was innocent. like, I wish I was taller. Right. That was like rap music. <laughs> right, you know? right. I just want to play basketball. Right. Now it's like, no, I want to murder you and your family. Right. And be uh, president. And I'm gonna rape I want to murder you and your family and be president. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, whoa. Do you ever, do you ever think about? Do you care about the future of golf? Um. You know, it's not my priority. I'm not invested in trying to keep the game. You know, but I, I, I care that it continue. You know, that I mean, I, I love the sport and I love that people play it. I tried to get my daughter into it. I couldn't. Um, what happened? How old is she? She's now 17. Um, you know, there were a couple of years where I could get her out there, uh, which was great. I would, as long as I sat down at the at the on the range, you know, and just with a bunch of balls and just them up and let her she would hit them but she she had a nice little swing but she didn't get it she didn't take it up um, which was a bummer because I would love to play and my wife too my wife swore I mean for years we're married 20 years so 10 years she was like I'm taking lessons this year I'm taking lessons this year I'm taking lessons this year. <laughs> and then finally like 10 years ago I was like you're never taking lessons she was like no <laughs> what do you what, what do you think happens there because I mean so so you're from judging from your own experience right you you're you know about golf, you understand golf, you've met golfers, you've worked on golf courses, way more than most people. Right. You still don't have the bug. All of a sudden, you have a work reason to go uh, put some time, money, and interest into the game. What happens? How, how do you then go to Brentwood signing a fat check? How do you do that? Well, I mean, I got lucky and made some money. <laughs> um, uh, but the 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 thing that was so frustrating about playing places like Penmar was 
you know, five hour rounds, yeah. you know, and, and waiting an hour to get on to play yeah. a five hour round, you know, or, I mean, I guess, you know, or whatever it is, it's nine holes. So it was three hours, but it was Still. three hours for nine holes was a long time. Crazy. And, uh, and also for me, the biggest problem was also then going out to the vat, those great courses out where, you know, that are an hour away, you know, it just, it's an eight hour day now. And I, I felt guilty about that. Like right. I felt guilty about taking eight hours. If it was the weekend, I felt t- guilty about taking eight hours away from my family. If it was the week, I felt guilt- guilty about taking eight hours away from the world. So when so it just became when I saw the opportunity with some money and a course that was four minutes from my house, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. And it was and it you know it it made me just love it. Also the camaraderie. I love the guys you know and the women you know at this course like. It, it, you know they're 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 just really cool people and I hang with them socially and I play with them and I can walk go out there and get in a pickup game at any moment right um, that is a nice feeling it's nice it's nice it's a club kind of you know the, the best aspects of having a club meaning not that I don't care about the exclusion of other people but I love the idea that I can go to some place and be welcomed and you know and, and, and have comfort so but but can, can you describe you know the experience of uh, getting inflicted with the golf bug, right? Like, do you remember that? Do you remember those like critical fertile you know, moments? Probably the first, you know, when I hit a great shot, you know, when right. you just hit one of those shots, that's just like effortless and cuts through the sky. You know, it's just, it's, a, it's an addictive. There's something addictive about that. The sound, the feeling, the effortlessness of it, you know, the grace of it, um, the physics of it it just it's something that's that you, that we chase you know right yeah any hole in ones no ooh you <laughs> i had one you no jeff's just uh where would describe your golf game jeff where are you at you've been uh, in the range well, i went to golf camp when i was 14 right and then uh i wanted to like be consistent with it but you know it was tough like we weren't members my family you know, we weren't members yeah. at a country club so it's like public courses and then you get wrapped up in other stuff as a teenager and then i went back to the driving range a little bit when i was in college messed around and then uh you know nothing for maybe about seven eight years and then i started working with eric who's involved in golf and went to the driving range I'm into that, but I haven't gone out to a course, so I've never played a full round. So I'm trying to never played a full never round. played a full round. Right. <laughs> we got to You know, what we should do is we should uh, take him out for, to Wilshire for the <laughs> listeners at home. We should do a little uh, little challenge. What what's Jeff going to shoot? Two <laughs> fifty? <laughs> no, no, you can't care. That's the thing. You can't care. You can't, You're right. you can't right, even Rob. keep score. Like when You're you right. go out. I mean, At least like the first time around, I gotta just. But that's enjoy the fun it of it because that and that's what I've kind of found in my latest incarnation of my game is like, I don't care about the score. I care about the fun of being out in nature and tr- chasing that feeling, and come what may. That's that's what I'm there for, or the camaraderie if I'm with people, um, the journey of it. Right, the journey. Yeah. I like that. I like the way, you, you, if you're listening, you couldn't see it, but when Rob described the way that you travel through a round, he kind of drew out a map of what occurs on each hole, and I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah, cool. Jeff, do you have any? Uh, well, I'm a big fan of Quiz Show. Yeah. I love Quiz Show. Thanks. That guy just passed away. Yeah, I read player. about that the other day. Yeah. I put out on, on social media a little, you know, RIP thing, and... Um, I remembered a story that I put out, uh, I, I wrote in the social media, it was 
when the movie, so Dick Goodwin, who I played in Quiz Show, Richard N. Goodwin, uh, was the kind of key investigator into the scandal of the television uh, quiz show scandals of the late 50s. And uh, he went on to be a major influence and speechwriter for JFK and Bobby. And, uh, you know, he was a real significant figure in the 60s and, uh, and then and continued to be. Um, so when the movie, the movie was based uh, a catalyst for the movie was a, a chapter in a book he wrote about uh, America, and he had a chapter on that scandal. Um, and uh, so when I was researching the, the to do the movie, I spent time with him and his wife, who's Doris Kearns Goodwin, who's an amazing... Uh, wrote the uh, the Lincoln book, right? The, the Lincoln Steel, book. The Spielberg real movie, major basically. And written yeah. some baseball books. I mean, she's a really amazing woman. Um, and so I spent time with them and him, and uh, when the movie opened, it, they, we, they, we were on a tour, for, uh, and we ended up in D.C., where they did a premiere for a, a lot of the politicos, and um, Dick was like, let's go around, let me take you around town. I was like, okay, and he was like, where do you want to go? And I said, well, I don't know, you tell me. And he was like, let's go to the White House. So we were like, <laughs> walk in the White House and meet everybody, and, and uh, we ended up at Robert uh, Kennedy's gravesite, and... Uh, there in this wall of granite is the tiny ripples of hope speech. And uh, he just kind of nonchalantly goes, I wrote that. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Which was cool. Um, he, was, uh, he was a really bright, interesting guy. And uh, I, I, when, it, when he, he, he told me that he felt I did him justice, it was a real honor because I was intimidated by, uh, again, you know, you're talking, this is super intellectual. I was a high school dropout, you know. Um, so I was able to kind of find my way into that. The cast in that movie great was cast. incredible. John Turturro. Turturro, yeah. Rafe, Paul Schofield, the great British actor. All these act Marty Scorsese. Had a little cameo there. Marty's in the, there. Uh, who was nervous, you know? So it was great. So here I am, just like this, me and Marty, and they're working around lighting, and he's so nervous that he's just like... I'm like, uh, so tell me about taxi driver. Oh yeah, Bob, Bob De Niro. You know, we took the thing. You know, he just would go <laughs> off on these stories, and I was just like, okay, just soaking it up. I got that was such like a uh, crazy year for movies. '94, yeah, like at the Oscars, you know, Quiz Show, right. Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump. Yeah, it was a it's great like a year. milestone year. It was. You're right. Yeah, it's interesting. I wondered about that. Yeah. yeah Why did it happen? Time. Well, what that was like '94. You know, it was a it was a great time in American movies. It was like a, a second wave um, from the '70s uh, because the independent movement was kind of at its peak, with Pulp Fiction epitomized, and um, and the studios were still making interesting movies. You know, Quiz yeah. Show would not be made. This, I mean, it would be on Netflix if you made it today. Um, yeah, yeah. There's not a lot making it to the theater anymore. It's tricky. I mean, there, but there's such great material out there. I mean, it's a wealth. I mean, I, yeah. I, I have to, I have to literally schedule my viewing time because there's so much. So much. Yeah, but it's funny. My viewing habits have totally shifted. Like, you know, with the technology we have now, I and and the and the cost of admission. Like, I have a projector. Right. Uh, I remember. It's not even that I have. I do have more money than I used to. But you know, when you look at renting a movie on iTunes, five dollars. Versus like getting out of the house, going Parking, to the fucking theater, food, where they're gonna treat me like an asshole. Right. They're gonna make the popcorn's gonna be cold. Right. 
And that's the only reason I'm going. I mean, I find the movie theaters are pretty great now. Like, they're really, technologically, right now. they're good. But also the cush factor, you know, and you Arc can light. take a beer and, you right. know, and the f- you can get real food or like those. I mean, but but you're but you're paying a lot of money. I mean, yeah. Like IPIC, you're paying $100. It's like going to a sporting event almost. Yeah. All right. Have you done IPIC, Jeff? Once because I got free tickets. Oh, so. man. IPIC, <laughs> IPIC is bugged it's out. It's badass. Me and my girl went to 12 Strong when we were in New York. Right. Went to like a midnight show. Right. And yeah, it was like I was a hundred and thirty dollars. I know it's crazy. But, but the problem but is, so if you don't cool. get the seats in the back, then you're like right on top of the screen. No, you have to get the yeah. right so seats. I, it's you, only you like four go. rows, five rows. Yeah. yeah, very small. Yeah, I dig it. But we don't go that much. I mean, you know, it's like it. it and then it has to be the right movie. And and is this the movie I'm going to spend a hundred and thirty dollars? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I agree. I mean, I think that's what's great is that you can watch. I don't. I don't see that as a downside. People lament it, but I don't. Yeah. Because there's such wealth of material. Billions, for example. Great Billions. show. Yeah, it's yeah. a good show. Yeah. Solid. It's a, it's a season finale is this week. I love seeing Malkovich. I can't believe I didn't get to work with him. I would die with Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> He's an amazing good, He'd guy. be a good golf character somewhere in there. A, a peculiar starter. <laughs> well, they have him. I don't know. They, they did a pretty good job of doubling him. They started his arc as a hockey like he's a wealthy guy who like plays in hot pick in hockey leagues you know mm-hmm. so that so Malkovich comes off the <laughs> off the ice like playing where the you know at the garden or something um and it was it was funny to see him because he's wait wait did I miss some big piece of news here what what did did someone die no oh, okay huh? no, no. I'm so confused what Moving on. <laughs> How'd you get there? I, I don't know. I Did just, you think John Malkovich died? Or? No, yeah, don't just, say that. Well, because you said, I wish I had worked with him, and then I was like, well, oh, because, you know, I'm on Billions. I, I, yeah. I play this kind of recurring part, and John came on, uh, like, the show after I finished ah, the season. okay, got it, got it, got it. Um, so I didn't even see him. I mean, I've met him a bunch of times. Well, because you said that, and then you said that, like, they had, I thought you said they had a double or something, and I was like, Oh, because he was playing shit. hockey, and they, they right. when they introduced his character, he yeah. comes off the, the ice. And, and I thought it was, like, a Heath Ledger scenario, uh, and it was no, like, no, no, no. he's dead, and now we got to He was talking about you wish he had scenes scheduled with John Malkovich. Got it, got it. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. He's a fascinating guy. I've spent some time with him. He's pretty, pretty dang interesting cat. Yeah. yeah. Who's your favorite person to play golf with? Um, you know, I, play, I have so many friends that I just I just love to play with. Uh, I have a friend, Michael Lewis, I play a lot with. He's at Bel Air, so I'm always over there, back and forth. Um, right. We spoke with him about being on the podcast, didn't we? Different Michael Lewis. Different. Oh, that's uh, the Moneyball writer? Yeah, diff- this yeah. one's different. This is the guy who started Real D, you know, real, the, ah. the, the 3D movies. Um, Did he write Moneyball, too? Is that what no, no, no. There's a lot of confusion. Michael Lewis. A lot okay. of confusion <laughs> happening yeah, yeah. here. <laughs> Um, Do you have any questions for us that I can answer simply? <laughs> Anything else, Jeff? Uh, what uh, What do you have coming up soon? So are the Billions uh, episodes? Those are I'm those done are uh, for Billions for now. I don't know. I have no idea what's going to be next season. They're, they do have another season. Um, uh, I have a movie coming out called Kill Team at some point. I did that in Spain last uh, fall. It was interesting based on a, a, a documentary based on a real story. Great about, documentary, by the way. Right. So I feel like something people should check out. Yeah. yeah. So that's that story basically um, made as a feature. What's the story? Um, these these guys in Afghanistan in, uh, in the 90s uh, were... Um, 
you know, they would go out on these uh, these missions and, and uh, you know, they, they were bored. They had nothing to do. So eventually they started kind of killing for sport, innocent people, just like, and then it was, then if you were in the squad, they would kind of make you become one, a made man, you know, so then everyone had to kill someone and then it became, you know, how many could you could kill? It was like really disgusting. And, uh, and apparently not that unusual. Um, and eventually, you know, one kid got a conscience and they, they eventually all got caught and court-martialed. And that's the story of that. So it was uh, um, Spanish military? No, no, we shot it in Spain just because the... the uh, book, uh, so it was U.S. military? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's a dark side. Yeah, it's a, it's a, but, and, and, and what's fucked up is that it's not, as I, from what I understand, not that unusual. Whoa. Yeah. Which doesn't surprise me. I mean, war is like nothing we can imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's a topic that I try not to dwell on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Played golf with a lot of veterans, though, recently. Yeah. They're great people, man, using golf to rehabilitate. For sure. It's a great thing. Yeah. So I have that. I have music. Music's my big thing. I have an, uh, a single dropping June 15th called The New New Face. Um, Can we hear a sample of it? Sure. Get ready. Turn your speakers up. I'm going to turn this up. I'll pa- I, second should I pause it while we... No, we can... You can hold the airwaves here, Jeff. uh, Jeff, what's been going on with you? I had a nice cup of coffee this morning. Did you? (laughs) Did you? Is it a vanilla frappuccino? Yeah, vanilla, iced vanilla latte. Six pumps of vanilla, so you know, get enough sugar in there. Jeff, if you're at home, Jeff and I had to talk business. Here we go. on the freeway You're going fast you know and so what's that called the new new the new new face the new new face which came about from a, an article my wife was reading about plastic surgery and the, the 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 new face was kind of the classic Joan Rivers you know like right. that kind of thing and then, but the new new face is the kind of the Angelina Jolie look. The, yeah, duck duck lips. Yeah, and apple it? and puffed. You know the yeah. the um, Botox. Uh, fucking disgusting. Yeah, just it's fucking gross. It can be gross. So this is a song about that. I like it, man. I like it. Thanks. I like music where if if I hear a song and I can visualize myself driving, right? I like it. You're right. That's it's good. A good, it's, thing. A good it's a good. Uh, you know, we take it out into the car once we do the mixes to see if it works. Oh, car. do you really? Oh yeah. <laughs> that's no. That's crazy. Yeah, you yeah, got to be sure. like tapped up, especially driving in LA. Yeah. It's like, how do you come up with the? Uh, so so who's 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 on that track? Is it all you? 
No, no. My partner, uh, a guy named Carlos Calvo, and I write all the music. We, we, we've written a lot of music, and um, we, we, uh, we get together and we kind of talk about different ideas we're thinking about, and we start to jam, and then a melody emerges, uh, a, couple, a section or two, and then I usually kind of start singing gibberish over that, and then, uh, and then I take that away and spend a couple weeks uh, writing um, lyrics, and then we get back together and kind of put it into its final shape. That's I've I've heard this uh, process before, where it's almost like you're um, uh, you're you're it's it's not conscious necessarily. Well, yeah, I mean, it's if you can get to that place where you're not conscious, that's the goal, you know. Where you know, because all these guys talk about uh, Paul Simon. I saw the other night he did a show at the Bowl and and. Uh, I had read his book recently, and Neil Young, they all talk about, it's like an antenna. And a lot of times, for me, like, when a song is finished, I'm like, where did that come from? Right. You know, where, I can't, I don't even remember how it came to me. And and yet, when it's done, it feels like it's always been there. Mm. You know? There's this great thing Michelangelo said about sculpting, where he would go to a quarry, you would see in this, you know, amorphous piece of stone, the shape, and he would then buy it or whatever and take it to his workshop. And the process was to remove everything else until the shape emerged. But it was already there, you know, which speaks to what we were talking about earlier, you know, um, about, you know, time and stuff. It's like, in a way, if it was always there, then you just have to go through the process of revealing it. Right. I like that. Yeah. So what you're saying is I'm a great golfer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I just have to chip away at all the excess. Chip away. <laughs> yeah, I just need to remove all the bad parts. Thank you for your time, Rob. I really yeah, appreciate man, this it. This was nice. You guys yeah, are great. It's been good. It's been good. Jeff, do you have any closing remarks? Uh, yeah, we can follow you on Twitter, Instagram. Twitter, Gram, Instagram, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Thank you, man. I appreciate cool. it. Let's yeah. play golf someday. All right, dude. Yeah, let's do it.